This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, we are discussing Egeret Musar, which is the letter we talked about last week, a letter written by the Ramban Nachmanides to his son, whose name is also Nachman. Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman, and his oldest son is Nachman. It's Friday, we name our sons after our fathers. So, so let's just talk about briefly about Musar. What is Musar? So, Musar literally means ethics. Ethics. Can I ask you a question? Musar means ethics. You name the son after which? After the wife or the, or the father? Uh, to both. First, the uh, son. The first son gets named after the father's father. The second son names after the mother's father. Same thing with daughters. The first daughter is named after the father's daughter, father's mother, and then the second one is named after the mother's mother. That's usual. Obviously, there's room for leeway. Right? So the concept of Musar serves three purposes. Ethics of three purposes. Number one is self-control. It's the hardest thing. Self-control. The hardest thing to achieve is self-control. It's hard to have self-control. It's very hard to self-control. What does self-control mean? Where a person controls their behavior. They want to burst out. They want to do something. And they control it. And uh, this is based on a pasuk in Mishlei. Shlomo Melech says in Proverbs, he says, a person who is a gibor, a person who can control his anger is better than a person who controls the city. In other words, it's easier to control other people than control oneself. If all these big dictators. They can control other people, but they can't control themselves. Classic cases were the Roman emperors. Caligula, man, They could control other people, they could kill other people, but they couldn't control themselves. So that is self-control. So the purpose of ethics, number one, is self-control. Self-control, which we're going to talk about. Number two, and this is a very important idea, the idea of what are we doing in this world? And the answer is we're trying to perfect our characters. Because our character is who we really are. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Look at the mirror and say, who am I? I'm stupid. Well, you don't know who you are, right? Because <laughs> you are your character. Okay? Your name is not you. You are your character. Your name describes your character. This is who I am. My character, if I have a nice character, a good character, that's a good son. If you have a person who has a bad character, that's who he is. That's it. So that's character. So we're trying to perfect our character, which is a lifetime process. and more than a lifetime process. Sometimes you've got to come back and do it again. <laughs> but it's not you come back. It's just the part of the soul person didn't fix. So by fixing our characters, we are fixing parts of our soul. We don't really realize it. When we're fixing our characters, we're fixing parts of our soul. And number three is... The purpose of ethics is to purify your motives, purify our motives, purify my motives, purify our motives. So three purposes of Musar. This is very general. Number one is self-control. Self-control. Number two is perfect one's motives. character. Number three is to purify one's motives. You're right. There's no order. All three are right. Thank you so much. Okay. So first got to purify their motives, perfect their character. Thank you so much. So, and uh, one's values. So these are the themes which we're going to talk about in this class. By Gerrit Musar, Ramban is addressing these themes. He's telling his son, number one is self-control. So you've got to self-control. The hardest thing to control is? Self. Well, two things. Anger and desire. Two of the hardest things to control is anger and desire. Desire is really jealousy, right? You're jealous of desire. I want this. So desire. So anger and desire are the hardest things to control. 
And there's three things which the Mishnah tells us, three things remove a person from this world. Kina, ta'ava, v'kavod. Kina is jealousy, desire, and honor-seeking. Honor-seeking. So anger comes from honor. You didn't give me enough honor. You walked out on me. You didn't show me enough respect. Anger. The jealousy and desire are all the same. The jealousy is from desire. So honor is ego. And anger comes from the ego. Anger comes from the ego. Now, so, sometimes a person is allowed to lose their temper. You're allowed to lose it. You're allowed to show it. Two things. Number one is, if you're a teacher in school, right? If you don't show your temper sometimes, the kids cannot behave. You know? So you've got to know how to show it without losing it. That's the hard part. A person's going to show temper without losing control. It's so hard. A person's going to be an actor. Mm. Going to be a good actor. Why do you do this to me? Mm. Okay? That's an act. Okay? So a person's going to be a good actor, but you can't lose it. Because they can't lose control of the head. Because if they mm. lose control, so a person lose control, it's like they are worshiping idols. Okay, obed A person who gets angry is like a person who worships idols. We're going to talk about and uh, destroys their own soul. Terrible. A person feels their soul going away. A person gets angry and loses control. They're ripping up their soul. It's a terrible thing. Terrible thing. A person going to do teshuva. Just like a person has to do teshuva, Rabbam says, just like a person has to do teshuva from deeds, bad deeds, have to do teshuva from bad traits. Mm-hmm. How do you do teshuva from bad traits? Well, I've got to change my traits. I've got to work on my traits. So if I don't work on my traits, the traits are going to rule me and I'm, going to rule, I'm not going to rule my traits. Right? Shalom Melch says, Ba'kaz, anger, is in the pocket of fools. Because right? it's ready to whip out. Anytime the guy has a problem, whips out his anger. Start screaming and shouting. Right? That's a fool. How do you know who a fool is? Guy whips out his anger all the time. Mm-hmm. Can't cope. Person's got to learn how to cope without the temper, without the anger. It's very hard. It's very, very hard. And anger comes from ego. Comes from ego. So we have to learn how to control ourselves, all aspects of ourselves our anger, our desire, our envy, mm. or whatever it is a person has. Number two is try and perfect our character traits. So, self-control is a negative side of the character traits. Controlling my character. But the positive side of the character traits need perfection. You've got to perfect. How does a person do kindness? That's part of the character traits we're trying to perfect. You do it with a smile, you do it with a grunt, you do it with a groan, you do it with, I don't know, practice. Practice. Maybe the practice got to be practiced in a good way. A person can do kindness all their lives, they do it with a groan. They do it with a moan, they put a face on. Mm. It's very hard. It's very hard to be a kind person. It's very hard to be a kind person. And if you're a kind person, people take advantage of you, so you have to have balance, the Rambam says. You've got to find the golden mean. Mm-hmm. And he based himself on a Mishnah we did yesterday in the women's class, by, in the second chapter of Rikia Avot, Rabbi, Rabbi Yudah Anasi says, what, what, uh, what's the path a person should follow? A path that brings a person to ferret, brings a person glory from himself and for others as well. So he... On the one hand, he can't give too much, even though he's giving to others to fare for other people. But he's got to have to fare for himself as well. He can't give too much. You've got to worry about yourself as well. You worry about yourself, worry about others. The person's got to have a balance in their lives. Perfecting one's character is the golden mean. Ramon says, in El Chodeyot, perfecting one's character is the golden mean. Right? What does that mean? That means in every trait, there's a medium. Every trait has a medium. Every trait has an extreme. Keep away from extremes in every trait. Except for two things he says. One is anger, and the other one is ego. Keep away. The truth is, they're both related. Anger and ego are both related. Keep away to the other extreme of anger and ego. 
So these are the themes that Ramban is addressing in his short letter. Imagine. Two-page letter. You can write a whole book. I have a book over here. Two-page letter. I have a book. Two-page letter from Ramban because it includes. It's in brief. It's very, very brief. All these ideas, we've got to expand on them. We have to expound them. And uh, one of the things Rambam tells us is to be effective as a teacher, you have to know how to be brief. Right? Um, and you look at the early authorities, early sages, look at Hashem. Hashem gave us the ten sayings. How many lines, how many words in there? 613 words. Letters, right? Mm-hmm. 613 letters. Imagine. No coincidence. It's a short speech. I have a book called The Shortest Speech That Changed the World. What was the shortest speech that changed the world? Hashem gave us the Ten Commandments. It's not really Ten Commandments, Ten Sayings. So, can you imagine? Five commandments, two words. Lord Tzach, Lord Inav, Lord Ignor, Lord Tani, Rechaj, okay, a bit longer. Three commandments, two words. Imagine, not bad, huh? Imagine, you make such a profound statement, two words. Don't steal. Car. Covers everything. Don't commit adultery. Ah. Don't kill. Don't, don't murder. Three, two words, that's it, it is. Well, the major words. Hashem was, knew how to be brief. Because when you're brief, people can remember. So that's what Ramban is doing. Ramban is telling us in very brief form a letter to his son that his son can memorize. It's short enough to memorize. Now, when you memorize it, okay, now you have it briefly in your head. That's what the Mishnah does. The Mishnah is just for memory. And then you have the Talmud that expands on the Mishnah. So if you have the letter of the Ramban, which is the brief form, then you have to expand on it to understand it really, and to let it penetrate. Ramban is, is a philosopher. He's a philosopher who's also a Kabbalist. That makes it even harder. A philosopher is a philosopher's bad enough, but if you have a philosopher and a Kabbalist, that makes it even harder. So Ramban is very, very complex. If you read his commentary on the Torah, very, very complex. And a lot of things he says, Hamaskil uh, a person who's, who's wise will understand this. No one else will understand this. A person who's wise. So it's uh, really a sealed container. His, his commentary is a sealed container. Nevertheless, one of the themes that penetrate his thoughts, and that is a very important theme which we discussed last week briefly, is a midrash. And the midrash says, ask the question, does Hashem really care how a person does shachita? If you cut the animal from the throat, cut them out from the back of the neck, does Hashem really care? Does it really affect Hashem? And the answer is no, he says. And the midrash says no. The midrash, the mitzvah is given for us to improve. The mitzvah is not for Hashem to improve. Hashem is perfect. The mitzvah was given to us to improve. In other words, Hashem doesn't need a mitzvah. Hashem wants us to improve. He's giving us guidelines how to improve our traits, how to improve ourselves. So the mitzvah, the purpose of the mitzvah are to make a person a better person. So unfortunately what happens is the person does a lot of mitzvah, but it's not really affecting who they are. That's the trouble. They're not doing the mitzvah properly. The mitzvah has to affect you. If you're still a violent person, still a mad person, still an angry person, the mitzvah is not affecting you. That's the hard part. It's not affecting the essence of the person. The mitzvah has to affect the essence of the person. And that's the hard part of doing mitzvah. You can do all the mitzvah in the world without entering the person itself. The person can do all the mitzvah. Learn Torah as well. And it's like water off the duck's back. The water just whip, where it goes onto the back of the duck and then flows <coughs> off the duck. So it's not penetrating the person. The person going to let it penetrate. So the purpose of the mitzvah was to Purify a person. That's what the Midrash says. The whole purpose of the mitzvot is to purify a person. And Hashem designed the mitzvot to accustom the heart to compassion and sensitivity. And therefore, our Ramban says, Hashem wants us to be kind to animals 
Why? Not because of Hashem. Not for His sake. For our sake. For us to learn compassion. Right? For us to learn compassion. For us to learn sensitivity. So Hashem insists we, we display kindness towards animals, not so much for His concern about them, but for us to learn sensitivity, for us to perfect our personalities, for us to copy His ways. So by doing them, it's what a person copies the ways of Hashem. Very, very powerful. Ramban also writes, one is affected spiritually and physically by what one eats. A person eats wild animals to become wild. We are what we eat. Also, he says, when Hashem commands us to remember the miracles, like coming out of Egypt all the time, coming out of Egypt, coming out of Egypt. By acknowledging Hashem's kindness and salvation, we get to be gratitude. We have to have gratitude. This is one of the important facets of Judaism is to teach us gratitude. It's called Hakrat Atov. Yeah. A person without gratitude is a mean, selfish, egotistic person. Imagine, just think about honoring parents. Why is honoring parents such a great mitzvah? And the answer is because we don't really think how much our parents did for us. Like a person can really think. Only when you have kids do you realize what your parents did for you. Right? When you have to wake up in the middle of the night and change a diaper, then you know, boy, you think my mother did this for me? My father did this for me? Gosh, I kept them up at night? Oh, it's hard mm-hmm. to imagine. Buddy. Mm-hmm. Only when you get that kid and you put them through school, my, father, my parents pay for my yeshiva tuition. Oh, God, I can't remember what it's like. Oh. Can you imagine? And my parents suffered and they agonized, worrying about me, what I'm going to do in my future, and the fights you have to have when you have children. It's horrible, it's horrible, it's a horrible situation. So the kids should grow up with what's called hakratatov. A child's got to grow up with hakratatov. A child who did not grow up with hakratatov, which is today in America, very hard. Children expect. There's no thanks. They blame their parents for every little problem they have. It's the parents' fault. They raised me like this. Daddy, I got it from your DNA. Oh, boy, that's like the worst thing you can tell your father. <laughs> Why are you like that? Well, I got it from you. Oh, thanks a lot. What else do you get from me? Oh, we don't talk about what you got us from me. Yeah, they don't care about it, right? So that is a very, very important facet of Musar. facet of Musar is to appreciate. Appreciate what you have. Appreciate what Hashem gives us. And that's why we say, We thank God for everything He gave us. It's so hard to be a... Say thank you. But can you say that, Rabbi, that that was always through the ages? That, that children were always... That's why Hashem created that? No. Well, because not true. It's children, not true. It's not true. The children were always saying, blaming their parents No, for it's not true. It's not true at all. This is a very recent phenomenon. Very, is it? A very recent phenomenon. It's more an American phenomenon. Listen, I grew up in the old days. You know, it's not so old. In the old days where they still whacked their children. Get whipped. Get. And schools, they're six of the best. You bend over the chair, right? You have the same thing? Okay, good, you're lucky. That's a good sign. Uh, but you bend over the chair, bam, 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 and the parents could whack you or whatever. And yet we respected our parents. And we honored our parents. Remember the Shabbat table. You'd kiss your father's hand before you got a bracha. you kiss your mother's hand before you got a bracha. It's a very old Sephardic custom. you kiss your father's hand, you kiss your mother's hand. Today, kiss your father's hand, you backward. But why do you kiss your father's hand? Because you recognize everything comes from my father's hand. So now you want a bracha, right? You have to remember, when you get a bracha, why are you getting a bracha from your father? Why are you getting a bracha from your mother? Because everything, even the blessings come from them. They are the source of your blessings in life. So how does that work? When you acknowledge them as the source of your blessings, now they give you a blessing. If, if you don't recognize that they're the source of your blessings, same thing, Hashem. Baruch Atah Hashem. Oh, you're the source of my blessing, Hashem. Hashem says, now I can bless you. If you don't recognize me as the source, 
then where you want a blessing from? Who you who you want a blessing from? If I'm not the source of your blessing, you know, yeah, where are you asking a blessing from? So one of the very important aspects of Musar is saying thank you. One of the very important Hakaratatov, it's a very, very important aspect of Musar, is the idea of Hakaratov, which we have to instill in our children. If you didn't instill in your children, you failed. If you did not instill the Hakaratov in your children, you failed. You failed as a parent, and they failed as children. And that's what, that's what honoring parents is all about. Honoring parents is, they did so much for me when I was a kid. I'm returning the favor. I'm returning the compliment. I'm returning it. So it's very, very important to have this concept of Hakaratov. And through gratitude and humility, it's so hard to have love of God. How, why do a person love their parents? Because the parents did so much for them, and they recognize it. The parents did so much for me. I love my parents because look what they did for me. They did everything for me. So now I've got to transfer that feeling to Hashem. Why do I love Hashem? Look what He did for me. He did everything for me. You know, people have the attitude, what did God do for me yesterday? What did He do for me today? So that's how we start off every morning. Modeh, thank you. But what did God do for me today? He gave me back my soul. I'm awake. I'm alive. What did God do for me today? So everyone has to say, the sickest person in the world and the healthy person in the world. What do we do today? So we have to be thankful and grateful, and that is part of Musar. That's a very important character trait. Now it's interesting, the word for character traits is Midah, Midot. In Hebrew, the word Midot has different meanings. One of the meanings of the word Midot is? Huh? Measurement. Measurement. Excellent. Where do you see, where do you see that in the Torah? The first time it's mentioned is? By the Teva, no? What is it? Chol Moadah. Modecha. That's a drasha. That's not the word, but but the, but the midot is mentioned by the ark, by Noah's ark, the tevat Noah. It says, "Well, the midot of Noah's ark, very easy to remember." Lashon, lamet shin nun, thirty by three hundred by fifty. The ark, tevat Noah. You're trying to build midot. Hashem, the midrash says the world was destroyed because they were rude to each other. When you're rude to someone, you can actually kill them. If you denigrate them enough, because that's what they did to the Jews, right? You're dirty Jew, you're despicable Jew, you're a rat, you're dead, dead, until you make them into an animal, so you can kill them very easily. So speech is the vehicle for killing. Why Lashon is so bad? Lashon And that's why King Saul chose Doeg Haidami to kill the, the Kohanim in Nov. Doeg Haidami was the general of King Saul. The rabbis say he was the head of the Sanhedrin. And he killed the Kohanim. Imagine, he killed the priests of Nov. <coughs> why did he kill the priests of Nov? But you can speak bad about them. You can speak bad about someone, you're killing them, killing them character-wise, you can kill them physically as well. Amazing. So what we say is very, very important. Musar also teaches us what to say, what not to say. And uh, look, what, look what Shalom Amalek says. Cling tightly to ethical discipline. Do not let it loose. Guard it carefully. It is your life. Musar is your life. What do you mean Musar is your life? Because what is life all about? We said life is all about fixing our character. That's what we're here for. We're here to fix our character. All the tests in life are here to perfect our character traits. Unfortunately, what happens is we can fail those tests very fast. Then you're really down. Only trouble is we have to pull ourselves up again. That's what life's all about. Life is falling and picking oneself up and falling and picking oneself up. The key is to pick yourself up again. Never give up. So a person's got to learn I've got to improve myself. My job in this world is to improve me, to eliminate my negative traits. And a person who fails to accomplish this, 
Vilna Gaon says, Amishle, he says, wasted their life. Imagine, a person dies without working on a single trace. <coughs> and now, which trace do we need to work on? Harizal says, amazing thing. We're here to fix our traits. Which trait? So think back to when you're a kid and think back which kid trait, the bad trait you have when you're a kid and you probably still have it. I, I'm talking about myself. The worst traits when I was a kid is the hardest thing to change. And says that's your mission in life. You are here to fix the trait that's your hardest trait to fix. That's your mission in life. The hardest thing you have in your life is what you have to fix. Your trait, your test is your weakness. If your weakness is chocolate cake, Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. May that be the only weakness I have. Yeah. <laughs> if your weakness is something worse, the person is here to fix that trait. We're here to fix those traits. So that's the purpose of the mitzvot. That's the purpose of life. Imagine, that's the purpose of life. A person who fails to fix his traits has failed to live. You're wasting your life, wasting your time. Rambam also writes, he wrote an introduction to Pirkei Avot called Shmone Prakim. The eight chapters. It's very, very hard. Because it's, it's the philosophy of the soul. It's eight chapters. It's very hard to understand when he's talking about the soul. He talks about five aspects of the soul. He goes into details. And only three out of five are physical. Three out of five aspects of the soul are physical. Which in other words, the soul get, gets involved with the body as well. soul is part of the body as well. So for example, a person's health is related to the health of the soul. Because the soul, part of the soul is inside the body. And therefore... Relates to it. So he said, the Rabbah says in, in Shmonet Prakim, in his introduction to Prakavot, the person who strives for perfection must be everly mindful of his imidot, of their character traits. And they should evaluate their actions and traits every single day. That's so hard, boy. Imagine. What did I do today? How did I respond today? How did I react today? What trait did that come from? Why did I react in this way? What trait is it coming from? What's holding me back from being more kind? What's holding me back from being sweeter? What's, what's holding me back from being a nicer person? What traits are holding me back? What am I going to work on? How am I going to build it up? So every single day the Ramadan says to, to do this evaluation. It's so hard to do. Finally, Rabbi Chaim Vital says an amazing thing. He said, which mitzvah in the Torah is there to perfect your traits? Can you find me a mitzvah in the Torah that says, you shall perfect your traits? No such thing. There is a mitzvah to be no God in all your ways. Let's say explicitly, no, you know, you fix your traits. Uh, there's a mitzvah which is uh, walk in his ways. And from there we learn out, we have to emulate the 13 attributes. Just like he is merciful. We have to, so there's, not, there's no mitzvah per se, fix your traits. This is Rav Chaim Vital asking this question. So he says, why? It's a prerequisite to the Torah. Derech Eretz, Fixing your traits comes before Torah study. So prerequisite to Torah is fixing one's traits. But how do you fix your traits without Torah? What comes first? The cart or the horse? The chicken or the egg? So you need to learn Torah to fix your traits. But before you can really call yourself a Torah person, if the traits are not fixed, you can't call yourself a Torah person. So that's very, very important. It's very high, very high level. The Torah raises the bar on all of us. And it's a lifetime of struggle to fix one's traits. If you can fix even one trait, it's easier to learn a whole of Shas than fix one trait. Even. Amazing. Because the trait, you're haunted by the same things every day. If that trait comes back, you push against it like a spring. Mm-hmm. Rav Desla says, the Yetzirah is like a spring. You push it, 
Okay, you push it away, push it away, push it away. It's getting stronger and stronger and stronger. So finally it comes out in full force. <laughs> Rebounds on you. The only way to get rid of it is by cutting it out. Or transforming it into something good. And it's so hard to do. So we have to take those traits. Take the bad traits and use them for good. How? So Vindagon says, a person who is bloodthirsty. He should become a butcher or a mohel or a surgeon. Or join the Israeli army. Want to be a butcher? Go ahead. Join the army. Join the Israeli army. Don't join the American army. Oops. Is that good? <laughs> I'm just saying, you want to do a bit first. Uh, join the Israeli army. So, it's a prerequisite. The foundation of all the Torah, all the deeds a person does, is their traits. Because you can't have pure motives without pure th- traits. If the traits are not good, the person is desirous of honor. So now when he does a mitzvah, I want to make sure, you guys watching? I want to do a mitzvah. I want to get maximum honor. I want everyone to watch. I'll put the money there. Make a big loud noise. Put the money in the pushka. Shake it. Here, guys. Put it inside. I'm praying. But I'll tell you, oh, my head, act really holy. And you guys watching? So it's like it's, a person wants to build up the kavod halavai here. Good job. <laughs> but you know what? A person should do the mitzvah anyway. The main thing is to do the mitzvah. But we're talking about the high levels of hundred percent. Hundred percent counts. Yes. But the, the names on the on the buildings. Yes, names on buildings counts as hundred percent. And in fact, we want to encourage it today. Why? Because if people say someone else's name on the building, they say, "Hey, where's my name?" Okay, you give stuck as well. Put your name as well. Right. It motivates people. Is that the highest level? It's not the highest level. Is it good? It's very good. Just do the mitzvah. Just do the mitzvah. But then there's also mitzvah just doing all that, but you can do it anonymously. Yes. Yes. Obviously, you can do it anonymously. But then there's no there's no jealousy by others to do the mitzvah. Mm-hmm. See, anonymous donated. Okay. I don't care who's anonymous. I don't care. If you say my friend donated. I say if he can donate, so and so, I'll get a bigger plaque than him. Mm-hmm. Halavai, be like this. Okay, so what is what is the Rav Chaim Vital saying? He's saying the traits are the foundation for service of Hashem. Plus, some bad traits, their foundation is rotten. That edifice they're building is not going to last. The foundation of everything are the traits, human traits, the personality. So he gives uh, this is a mashal by one of the great rabbis, Rabbi Eliyahu Lopian. Rabbi Eliyahu Lopian, there's a book called Lev Eliyahu, very heavy duty Musa, really. He was a uh, mashkiach in uh, Kfar Hasidim, Eliyahu Lopian. Amazing, amazing. The old school, from the old Ashkenazi yeshivot. They went to Gateshead first, and then to Israel, became mashkiach of yeshiva. The guide, a guide, a spiritual guide to the boys. So he says a parable over here. Rav Chaim Vital says the foundation of everything is your traits. So he says, listen. Rav Chaim Vital says, not mitzvah. It's a prerequisite to learning Torah. It's a prerequisite to being a Torah Jew. It's a prerequisite to doing mitzvah. It's your traits. There's no mitzvah. Why is there no mitzvah? He says, it's a prerequisite. It's like the famous debate between the Rambam and the Baal Halachok Dolod. Is there a mitzvah to believe in God? Rambam says, first mitzvah in the Torah, Anochi Hashem Elokecha. Believe in God. Barach the Lord says, what are you talking about? There's no mitzvah to believe in God. It's a pre-mitzvah. If I don't believe in a commander, how can I believe in commands? Rav Chaim Vital says the same thing. If I don't have midot, how can I do Torah? 
How can I learn Torah? How can I do mitzvot properly? I can't. It's a prerequisite. It's the foundation of everything. So Elia Lopian gives a parable, beautiful parable. He said, the guy hired a contractor to build a house for him. Okay, why don't you build me a five-bedroom house? Okay, what street should we choose? Pick a street. Denison, no. <laughs> okay, a five-bedroom house in Denison Street. I'm gonna, I got a plot, I got land. Yeah, I'm hiring the kablan, the builder, to build me the house. Okay. The builder builds the house. How much is it per room? How much is it per room? I don't know. Put a price. $100,000 a room. Huh? $50,000 a room. Okay, five-bedroom house, plus a living room, plus this, plus that. So, so I don't know. Seven, 400000 Okay. Signs the papers, gives them the check, down payment here, $400,000. The, the house is now ready. Comes the contractor says, give me a payment. So, okay, I paid 50000 down payment. Mm-hmm. I owe you three fifty. No! You didn't, you didn't pay me for the, depart, for the foundation. You've got to pay me another 50000 for the foundation. And I said, what are you talking about? It's not the contract. He said, yeah, but you understand. When you build a building, you've got to put a foundation in. Shabaliyala so, Rapiyat says, obviously, he doesn't have to pay for the foundation. It's understood. You cannot build a building without a foundation. So I'm charging for the building. Obviously, it includes the foundation. It's the same thing. When you're building a building of yourself, you're building your own edifice. Your foundation is your midot. So you have to build using Torah and using mitzvot, build your foundation. But the foundation's got to be there as well. So that's the idea of That's what Rukhayim Vital is saying. Lay the foundation of your spiritual structure, because without the foundation, it's going to crack and smash. What is the foundation of spiritual structure? Your personality, your, your character. And that's what the Ramban is telling his son. Build your character traits. Build your personality. Because that is the foundation for everything in your life. Now, it's interesting because Ramban, when he wrote this letter, was 72 years old. So how old is his son? He must be in his 50s. Mm-hmm. But it's amazing how he has to write a letter to his son. Why do he have to write a letter to his son? You mean he did train his son already? And the answer is his letter for, is for everyone. His letters for everyone. It's very famous. And it's a fantastic vehicle for ourselves to learn ethics and Musar. And that's what we're doing now. So the first line of the book. Shema Buni Musar Avicha Val Titosh Mitorati Mecha. It's not the Ramban's words. He took it from Mishlei. He took it from Shlomo Melech. Mishlei, by the way, is a very, very long book. Many chapters. And every line in Mishlei is a book. Every line in Mishlei is so powerful, you can write a book about it. So Ramban based his letter on this one line. And we're basing a book on this one line. Can you imagine? Shema Beni Musar Avich. What does it mean? Listen, my son, to the ethics of your father. And don't turn away from Torah from the Torah of your mother. So your father gives you Musa, gives direction in life. But your mother teaches you Torah. What's Torah? What does she teach you? She teaches you behavior from her own example. The, ra- the, the father gives you direction. He gives you laws, rules, regulations. Mm. Your mother teaches you with her example, Torati Mecha, which we're going to discuss. Obviously, there's different explanations to this. But here we see there's an obligation on parents to educate their children. Unfortunately, today, what happens is we farm out our children to schools. We farm them out. Because I don't take the obligation of teaching my child. It's too hard. You ever try teaching a child? It's very, very hard. Children don't want to listen to their parents, unfortunately. So, instead of the school, you farm them out. So now it becomes the obligation of the school to teach the children Musar, which they're failing very badly at. Right? Most schools fail very badly at. And so the kid comes home, has no respect for his parents, no respect for anything, 
no kavod, no nothing. But that's the school's job. It's better the school teaches them honoring parents. The school doesn't teach them honoring parents, then failure. So who has to teach them? The parents have to teach them. But when parents teach their children honoring parents, ah, that's a power play. Children think that's a power play. Ah, you want me to honor you. You don't deserve honor. Why am I going to honor you? If it comes from you, it's much harder. It's got to come from the outside. So it's very, very hard to really honor your parents. To really honor your parents. It's very hard. And respecting parents is even harder. Why? You can't even contradict what they say. You can't argue back. Tell kids today, you can't argue back. So you are making my life miserable. You're making it so hard for me to honor you. To blame the parent. You are making my... Why do you ask for so many things? You're making my life miserable. i got to honor you. i got to do this. i got to do this. I don't want to do this. You're making my life difficult. You're making it difficult for me to honor you. Have you heard of that? Oh, you haven't heard of it. Oh, boy. You're lucky. Well, I'm going to hear kids maybe complain, but I never heard them say, I want to hear, I want to honor you. And, oh, yeah. And, uh, if they go to yeshiva, that's what they say. If they go to yeshiva, they learn. There's a mitzvah of honoring parents. And you tell them, remind them, by the way, is that how you honor your parents? You make it so hard. So they get back to you. You make it hard, like it's your fault. Okay? It's not my fault. Hashem says, honor your parents. Honor you. He says, you've got to feed them, clothe them, whatever they need. Yeah? Do them, run errands for them, whatever they need, right? Mm-hmm. With a reason, obviously. But to come along and say, you're making my life too hard. That is not honoring parents. That is the opposite of honoring parents. So... You see, different children have different aspects. Different. It's very hard to honor parents. So how do you honor parents? The answer is, without hakaratatov, without appreciating what they do for you. A person who doesn't appreciate. So the kid says, but you don't appreciate me. You don't appreciate what I do for you. Turn the tables around with the parents. Did you bring me into the world? Did you change my diapers when I was a kid? Did you put me through the yeshiva? You don't want me. You don't respect me. You don't. What about my feelings? The kid says to the parents. Okay, your feelings are important. But who's more important? Than the parents. So the children today turn the tables on their parents, and that's what you do to Hashem. Exactly what they're doing to us. We're doing it to Hashem. Hashem, why do you do that for me? How come you didn't do this to me? How come you didn't do the best thing to do? How come I'm not the wealthiest, wealthiest guy in the world? How come I'm not the healthiest guy in the world? Why don't you do more stuff for me, Hashem? I gotta honor you. This one, you gave me so many bits for it. It's hard to honor you. I can't do it. So many things. Whatever we tell Hashem, the kids are playing back to us. It's amazing how it comes back to us. So that when the kid tells you that, now you gotta think: What is my relationship with God? What am I telling God? It's coming back to me. So it's a lesson for me in my life. To Hashem, do I really love Hashem? I'm telling my kid: Why don't you love me? I I provide all these things for you. Why are you so ungrateful? I gotta look back and say: Hashem is probably telling me the same thing. He's using my kid to tell me the same thing. Why are you so ungrateful? Why, do you, why don't you love me enough? Why don't you honor me enough? Why don't you thank me enough, Hashem says. So, parents have an obligation to teach their children. To teach our children Musar, ethics. Shema b'di Musar avicha. Listen, my child, to the Musar of your father. It means the father has to teach his son Musar. Parents have to rebuke their children. Unfortunately, that's one of the jobs of a parent, and it's so hard to do. And the best at it was Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu leaves the main effort to last, literally, until he's dying. <laughs> Rashi says a, w- a weird thing over there. Rashi says, Yaakov was scared to rebuke his, par- his children. Maybe they'd run away and join Esau. 
that Rashi is encapsulated to us what children are like. Think about it. Why would your child run away and join your enemy, Asaph? Because they don't like what they're hearing from you. Take with my father. All he does is rebuke me all the time. He just tells me bad things. I'll go and join his enemies. Psh, scary stuff. I mean, hard. This, this is Yaakov's talking about the Shvatim. He's not talking about every Tumblr canary on the street. He's talking about the ten tribes. Right. And he's saying, look what he's scared of. Maybe they'll run away and join Esau. So you know what? I'm not going to have the opportunity. I'm going to run away from the world. When I'm dying, they're not going to run away from me because I'm going to be dead anyway. I can get away with saying whatever I want. If I'm going to be alive and tell them this, then some of them are going to run away from me. That's what he's scared of. So, but at least he rebuked them. He rebuked each one according to what they did. He gave them direction in the future. He tells them their weak points. He tells Shimon Levi, your anger is cursed. You have a weakness. You have to work on your weakness. So Levi worked on his weakness, and Shimon did. And Levi became the highest, and Shimon became the lowest. Amazing how. Shimon, Simon. Shimon, the tribe of Simon. Shimon. They didn't learn from their uh, from the Musa they got from Abraham from Yaakov. It says David Melech never rebuked his children. Disaster. Avshalom, look at Avshalom. Grew up. It says he wouldn't speak to Avshalom, but he wouldn't say good or bad. Avshalom killed his brother. Can you imagine Amnon, which is by the way, don't call your son Amnon. Uh, a lot of people named Amnon. I've seen anything Amnon come out good. Amnon <laughs> tried to rape his sister. Amnon. Mm. Amnon and Tamar. It's not a good name, Amnon. But anyway, a lot of people do call themselves Amnon. I'm not pro with the word Amnon. Because you see what happened to Amnon. Why do you want to name your son Amnon? So Avshalom kills his brother. It says, David, got him out of here. Get out of here. But he didn't say good or bad to him. Didn't talk to him. Until eventually Avshalom carries favor and comes back. And David does not rebuke him. So it's weird. It's very strange. So we see, and look what happened to his kids. They're all messed up. He never gave direction, except for one son who became the son who never sinned in his life, Kilab, son of David, who was one of the few people who never died through his own sin. Binyamin, Kilab, Yishai. Imagine, David's father was one of them who never died, never died through his own sin, never sinned. And David's son, Kilab, also never sinned. But David did. <laughs> it's, a, it's wild, right? He's sandwiched by two big Sadiqim, his father and his son. Amazing, amazing. And Binyamin, huh? No, there's no, there's nothing, very little about his son, Chilab. No, nothing about him. Because we're told that David was the best of sons, but it sounds like if he had a son who didn't sin. Shlomo sinned. Shlomo sinned, so it's old age. He didn't rebuke his wives again. Rebuke is so fundamental. If you're the master of the house, the rabbis say, you're in charge of the house. If you're the, if you're the husband of the house, you're in charge. I guess all the sins are going to be on your head. Ay, ay, ay. Susie, I'm in charge. <laughs> <laughs> you can say it. I don't care. It's revolutionary, right? To hear that today, it's like a revolution. Something which has been taken for granted over thousands of years. Today, it's like, what? A man's in charge. It's like a revolution. Men are in charge now. Men are, what do you call them? Eunuchs. Masculate. Huh? Masculate. Masculate, that's right. That's a good word for it. But I'm just saying, but in God's eyes... You're in charge. You're in charge of the spiritual qualities of your house. You are what's called the Baal Habayit, mm-hmm. the owner of the house. I don't know. 
Today, who's the owner of the house? Listen, the man says, listen, you're in charge. She should say, no way. You know why? You know how much responsibility that means? All the spiritual responsibility is now on your head. Take charge. I don't mind. Take charge. You pay all the bills. You're in charge of banking. You're in charge of loans. You're in charge of everything. Go ahead. Take all the headache off my head. I got great doing it. You do it. No, no, no. It's fine. You can do it. Same thing with all the spiritual headaches. Who's in charge of making sure everything is running in this house? Shabbat is brought in on time. The Shabbat is celebrated properly. The children are behaving nicely. There's honor and respect in the house. Sounds like a woman. Yeah. Well, and the answer is there's a partnership. That's what Shlomo is saying. Shema b'ni Musa The father's in charge of rebuke. The mother's in charge of how she acts and how they act. Whereas the role model is the mother. The role model says, you know, I also give respect to the father. She'll say, oh, if Ma honors dad, and dad honors Ma, we have to honor them as well. But there's no role modeling in the house. It's not going to happen. But even without the role modeling, you still have an obligation. Even if your father is the worst person in the world, you have to honor your father. Even if your father is an adulterer and you are a mom's there, you have to honor your father. Psh, it's scary. <laughs> it's scary. Even if your father is an abuser, you can't, you can't do anything to him. Run away from him. You can't dishonor him. You know what I mean? It's a very hard halakha. It's a very hard mitzvah. Well, not honoring him isn't the same as dishonoring him. Honoring is helping him. If you can't hang around him because he's an abuser, right. at least don't dishonor him. Right. So run away, but don't don't say bad things about him. Don't unless you're warning people. Come on. Mm. Today, kids put their parents in in, uh, in jail. Yes. How many kids? Listen, the reason why he's in jail is because he needs to be in jail because he's a threat to society, not just his children. Who knows what else he's doing? But it's a very hard question for a child. Imagine. What a what a horrible thing to go through, you know, both sides. One to be abused, and the other one is now to put the guy in jail, put your father in jail. You have to go to court and give testimony against your own parents. It's like, Baruch Hashem, we never had these questions, you know, thank God. I never heard this question once, thank God. I never had a question, but it's so common today. All right, so number one is how we as parents, we have the obligation to teach our children. That's number one. He doesn't have any questions. Don't start. Go still. So anyway, so uh, it's not just teaching Torah. It's also teaching values. It's also teaching morality. It's also teaching ethics. And uh, midot. Trouble is midot sometimes are hereditary. That's a trouble. But that's not an excuse. I inherit this trait from my father. All the traits I have from my father, from my mother, they're coming from somewhere. Right? Mm-hmm. Ramam says, in Hilchot Deot, some of the things we get from you know, genetics. Obviously, he doesn't use the word genetics, but he already says it comes yeah. from our heritage. <laughs> Number two is what we get from the peer pressure we learn from around us. I grew up in the 60s in England. Terrible time to grow up. You learn all sorts of bad things. And then you learn from books. Also, there's different ways of learning traits. Mm-hmm. Right? So now we have to take those traits we learned as kids and try and change them. We grow up and we realize what I learned as a kid is wrong. What I did as a baby is wrong. We have to change it. So just because my father did doesn't mean it's okay for me. Mm-hmm. We have to work on it. And that's why we're here. Why? We're here to fix them. According to Kabbalah, we're all here because Adam sinned. What are we trying to fix? Adam sinned. We're trying to fix Adam sinned. What is Adam sinned? He couldn't control what he desired. He couldn't control his desires. Imagine deserving a bell. We're all here because of that. So we're here to control our desires. We're here to control our ego. We're here to control what he failed at. 
So in a sense, just because you have in your DNA doesn't mean you're, it's hopeless. Mm-hmm. Our job is to fix what we have. It's not to fix what we don't have. It's to fix the faults we have. We don't have faults. It's nothing to fix. We might as well go home. Some people die early. They fix it already. Some guys, they come, they go very fast. We have to pray in our prayers. Hashem, don't kill us before we fix ourselves. Don't kill us. But don't let us die until we fix what we came here to fix. Please give us time to fix this. So, number one is, we have to fix ourselves. Because if we don't fix ourselves, we're giving our children a harder time. They'll have to fix it. So it's better before you have children to fix yourself. But it depends on when you get married. If you get married early, it's very hard to fix yourself. In a sense, you're more fixed when you're younger than when you're older. Because when you're younger, you have probably less hardcore habits, which are bad. Because they're not developed yet. When you're older, you already have those habits, and now it's so hard to change. So it's a toss-up. So, but what you have is going to go into that kid. You're going to make the kid's life harder. So, the entire tractate of Mishnah, imagine the Pekiavot. Pekiavot. Why is it called Pekiavot? So, Avot means forefathers, fathers. It's the ethics of your previous generations. These are the ethics of previous generations. Although the word Avot does not really mean generations, it means more principles, major principles. Major principles. Dora Haim HaKadosh. Rav Chaim ben Attar, who was a rabbi in Morocco, moved to Israel eventually, he opened the yeshiva in Israel, again died young, unfortunately. All these greats died young. You can see they fixed themselves when they were young. They didn't have to live longer. It's wild. All these greats, 48, I don't know why 48 such a... Hmm. 38, 48. This time when all these great rabbis would die. And the idea is they fix themselves. Look what he says. A child must be trained to fear God at the earliest possible age. How do you train a child to fear God? What's the best way? Keeper. Keeper? I fear you. I fear you. So I think the best way to change a child is when they're scared. Daddy, I'm scared of the dark. Don't worry. Hashem is here watching you. It's very powerful. Mm. It's very comforting. A child says, oh, Hashem is here. You're teaching them that Hashem is everywhere. Hashem is here with you. Wherever you go, Hashem is with you. Pray to Hashem. And my, my mother told me she grew up oh God, in the wilds and the woodies, uh, jackals and hyenas and all sorts of stuff. She was terrified as a kid, she told me. She was terrified. Her father told her, come, I'll show you. Read this, nine, Psalm 91. Cured of her worries. Cured of her fears. Such a powerful psalm. If you read Psalm 91, just read English. Hashem will protect you from everything. Hashem will I dwell in the shadow of the Most High. Wow. That's it. So that by that, a person is teaching a child at early age, Hashem is everywhere, Hashem is protecting you. So instead of being scared of, of anything else, be scared of Hashem. <laughs> so they're teaching you. Using their fears to soothe their fears with Hashem. That's the best remedy for a child. Even a person, even a child is too young to be trained. A child, a child goes to uh, normal, kleptomania. Children are very good kleptomania. They go to the store, put this in the pocket. Before the age of cameras, Hashem is watching you. Hashem is looking at you, what you're doing. You're putting this thing in your... There's a beautiful story that says there was a black woman in Toronto. It's a true story. It's not a racist story. It's a true story. A black woman in Toronto. And uh, she's going down the shelves of the supermarket. And the woman behind her, who's Jewish, look, 
hearing her, she has a child over there, and the kid says, Ma, I want those candies, I want this, and the, and the woman says, they're not kosher. <laughs> so they go, they, the religious girl be, go behind us and say, excuse me, are you Jewish? She said, no. So I heard you say it's not kosher. She said, yeah, I've seen many Jewish women train their children, like, they can't have it because it's not kosher. I use it on my child as well. <laughs> <laughs> it works for them, it works for me. <laughs> I love it. Good. Isn't that great? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. The kid says, Daddy, I want this, but it's not kosher. Oh, okay. Kid says, Think about the psychology. That's funny. So a child's got to be trained to fear God at the earliest possible age. Even if they're too young to learn Torah, you can teach them your actual mind. So the first song they teach them in school, Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is truly everywhere. But you know, it has to go into the child. Penetrate. What does that mean? <coughs> What is? When you say knowing that Hashem is there and He's going to protect you, you're not fearful of that. You're depending on that. You're Fantastic. So you're better than fear, right? right. Mm. On the other hand, if it cures your fears, you have to realize the fears are scared of Hashem. How, how, why do fears go away? Because the fears are more scared of Hashem than themselves. Mm. Oh. Let me give you an example. So it says, uh, can you imagine there's a, there's a wild dog over there. The wild dog is barking away. He's going to attack you. The guy's terrified of the wild dog. But behind the wild dog, he sees a lion. He forgets about the wild dog. Lion's over there. Behind the lion is Hashem. So now think of who should be more scared of. The wild dog or the lion or Hashem. So that's the analogy that a person should think of all the time is I'm scared of the dog. But behind the dog, there's something even bigger. Behind the bigger, there's even something even bigger than that. So it's got to be all of Hashem, right? All of you. Or is even better. Elsewhere, the Orochim says, in his commentary to Vayikra, holy people have told me that when a person is overwhelmed by impure thoughts and his evil impulse threatens to entice him to sin, there's one powerful preventative device. And this, we're going to stop here. This it's the device that saved Yosef from sin. With Potiphar's wife, he saw the image of his father. father. But if there's no respect for your father, there's no honor for your father, and there's no good example for your father, it's not going to help you. Mm. So a person's got to have a link to their father, but that's what he's saying. Shema b'ni Musar avicha. And if the father is not that representative of Musar, it's not going to help. So, imagine how much Yaakov inculcated Yosef, who's lost the age of 17, that Yaakov, Yosef, thinks about his father. He wants to do something. He thinks, what would my father do in this situation? And the Raman says to his son, I want you to think, what would I do if I was there? Mm. You, that's what you should pay. Okay, we'll talk about one next week. Thank you for coming. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.